Uh, just so you know, I'm a dad, so there's a lot of dad jokes probably coming your way. Just so you know, they don't get any better than that one. They're just <laughs> lower your expectations. Expect the Lord to do something. Not much for me. But we come here and we're studying the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm doing a little break. I'm going to go to that book in a little bit, but I'm going to do a little bit of introduction, right? I love our pastor. I love the way he teaches. I think he teaches just like Jesus. He teaches expositionally. He goes through the word. He points to the word. He takes apart the word. He also speaks narratively. He speaks in metaphors. He also speaks in a way that's real, where he allows guys like me to come and testify of my life. Because what we seek here in this church is not to just give you more spiritual knowledge. I'll listen to your spiritual beliefs, but I'm more concerned about your spiritual experience. We want for you to experience God in the deepest and fullest way possible. I don't know about you, I shared this last time, but I get so much from those moments of praise and worship. We come in here, we're trying to learn how to live life. That's why you're here, right? You want a little bit of something, right? And feel free to chime in every once in a while. If you want to yell stuff, I'm all for that. Ricky's all good with that too. But you're here for something. You're here for that moment. We're here to learn about life. And life is just comprised of those one moment after another, those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities strung together. And we collect these moments together and we call it life. But we're looking for meaning. We're looking for purpose. I love Ricky. I really, really do. He's a good teacher. And you know, and, and teachers tend to do this. Preachers tend to do this. We always go to the Greek. We want to go to etymology of words and stuff like that. Hopefully to bring greater understanding to you. But when we look at the word teach, when you break it down, it actually means to point to. To point to something. And that's what Ricky does so well. And that's what I'm going to attempt to do is... Create that space like the worship team was talking about. Create that space for you to come into contact with God and a concept of God or a fuller revelation of God. We got all this technology today. Stuff, I'm like an old time guy, you know? I'm trying to work within all this technology. My kids are probably watching this on some computer screen. Get out of your pajamas. Because they're in their pajamas. They got a cup of coffee. They're probably eating a bagel, the one in New York, which I'm a little envious of. But but we take advantage and, and we learn through all kinds of ways. And it's very, very wise. We learn from reading. We learn from auditory teaching. We learn from experience. 
We learn from all these different methods. I am trying to also understand technology to see how it helps. You always have something on the screen here, uh, key truths, all that fun stuff. So I am not as organized as Ricky, so I'm gonna just go, hey, can you give me that first image? I don't know if you know who that hand is. Does anybody know who that hand is? Tom Brady. Tom Brady. God. My pastor loves Tom Brady. I'm going to tell you, that was his joke on me. Because he knew what I was going to do. When I said, hey, Ricky, do me a favor. Send me a picture of your hero. He probably has, you know, all over the walls, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. And when, if you've been here for a while, he's always going to go, Tom Brady this, Tom Brady that. So I thought Tom Brady, you know, I thought he'd be in a Patriots jersey. I know some of you believe he's a buck. But I'm not a fan of Tom Brady. It's not a fan a little deflation of balls and stuff kind of threw me off. Not the biggest fan. So I thought this was funny. Can you please give me the next photo? Yay. You know who that is? That is Eli Manning. I... <laughs> it's starting already. Okay, very good. Yeah, me being a New Yorker, the Giants are my team. It's kind of sad, but I am waiting on the Lord. <laughs> but this is my favorite thing. So I thought Ricky was going to send me this picture, and then I would put that up just to mess with Ricky. Because that is Eli Manning, and he won two Super Bowls, and both against Tom Brady. So I like having fun with Ricky at every opportunity I can. And I love that our church laughs. I think so many people come to church and they think life should be a veil of tears. And we're going to come in here and we're going to be all holy. Like we never have a fear. We never have a bad thought. We never want to cuss someone out in the parking lot. Get my way. We're real spiritual. But we're real. And God is real. And he's always bringing us into this transformative relationship. That's why we come to church. That's why I want to encourage you. So many people think, well, I can do without church. Which is kind of weird because I'm preaching to people in church. But they think they can go without worshiping God. I'm going to tell you, you can sit, you can study this book, you can study all kinds of books about God, you can fill yourself with all kinds of knowledge. Nothing is going to match the experience when you are praising God collectively with his people. Sometimes I just, I, like I thought about for a second, maybe I shouldn't even talk. What I should do is just call the worship team back again 
sing all those songs over and make sure each and every one of you forget about your neighbor and just sing those words to God. Because there was a sermon already preached. I don't know if you saw it, but it was there. Everything you needed was there. But again, me being the stunt preacher, I'm going to fill in. So I'm going to ask you to uh, give me the next photo. This is a picture of my hero. Anybody know who that is? Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. My hero. I identify most with him. I asked some of my buddies here. I said, you know I identify with him. They said, yeah, Chris, because he's old and fat. And I went, <laughs> there's a little truth in that. <laughs> More than a little. All right? But he's one of my heroes. I'll let you know a little later why. Maybe we'll get to that. Can we bring up the first scripture? Two scriptures here. This is in the book of Genesis. It starts in the second chapter, seventh verse. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being this is when it all starts this is when everything started for man in the first chapter he said so God created mankind in his own image in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Why am I bringing you back to the very beginning? Here's a truth that so many people miss in our culture today. They believe God was created for them. Where God created us. We are the creation. I'm a big believer in finding God wherever you can. You can start at any given moment, whatever concept that you can come up with that maybe there is a God. But if you're really seeking God, you will get to the place where you will realize God is our creator. really important because you come here for meaning you come here for purpose since the beginning of time people have been searching for meaning and purpose why am I alive what does it matter there's all kinds of books really good books written about it there's one uh, my favorite called the purpose driven life very very important one other book that crosses my mind is a book by a man called Viktor Frankl. And it's called Man's Search for Meaning. A little 
background on Viktor Frankl, if you don't know. He was a psychiatrist who was put into the German concentration camps during the Holocaust. He had a lot of time to try to figure out what the meaning of life was. And he observed people. He observed the people who were able to get through life and not be crushed. He came up with a thesis, three, three main components, and the three main components was first, life means completing a task. You never feel fulfilled if you don't complete your tasks. The second thing was, you gotta care for somebody who's not yourself. You won't find meaning in life. All you do is care about yourself. You'll always be empty. You'll always be depressed. I'm going to tell you, I know, the only time I've ever been depressed, I was thinking about myself. And the last thing, which is really, really important, especially for Frankel, but I think it's appropriate for all of us. I think we all go through this. How do we navigate suffering with dignity? How do we do that? He developed something that was really, really interesting. I think somewhat ironic. It's called logos therapy. He's the father of that. It's trying to navigate life because it has meaning. But it's so funny too. You know who we also attribute that name to, logos? Anybody know? Jesus, he is the living word. He is the word. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was God. And the word was with God, First John. He's always been there. Here's the truth. If you can get this, I'm going to throw a whole bunch of them out. I hope some of them stick. Jesus is the meaning. He is the word, but he is the meaning behind every word. Can we bring up the next scripture? Can you guys see that? Can you read it real quick? <laughs> so basically, he's going to go through all this. If you can't remember it, sing that bird song in your head. Remember in the 60s, there is a season, turn, turn, turn. I'm not answers. Okay. But he's telling you all these seasons of life, all this stuff we're going to go through. Right? Go on to the next one. And then it says, what do the workers gain from their toil? So we went through all those seasons. We did all those things. Right? And he says... I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. This is Solomon again, like Ricky introduced him to us over the last couple of weeks. Solomon is talking about his experience, his spiritual experience. 
Not just knowledge, he has all kinds of wisdom. Actually, if you're reading the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, what is all this wisdom worth? I know all this stuff. And he knew what life was with God, and he knew what life was without God. In the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the truths Ricky pointed out to us that Solomon taught us is life without God is meaningless. Meaningless. But then he opened our eyes to see some perspective. Let's look at that uh, uh, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. So it's all good. When the season comes, when you wait on God, it will be good. He also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. See, that changes everything. It's all about perspective, right? It's all about perspective. Ricky did such a good job. I don't know if any of you were here last week, but he did such a good job of explaining that we see like this much of time, our lifespan, 80, 100 years, like this, where we can have, oh God, that much length of a cord can circle the universe a thousand times. And that's the way God perceives things. He sees the end from the beginning. We don't. But we have to put these glasses on if life is going to be at least tolerable. We have to see it from a different way. But God wants it to be more than tolerable. He wants you to have joy in this life. People tend to look at life three ways. There's a life of survival. There's a life of success. But there's a life of significance. It's so much different. It's so much more. Don't get me wrong. Have success. Have as much success as you want. But I'm going to tell you, my fear is being Successful in things that don't matter with the eternal perspective. And so much of us, so many of us, and so much of our time is dedicated to doing stuff that absolutely doesn't matter. Because we're looking for a little bit of pleasure. A little bit of peace that is non-existent apart from God. We're seeking in all those places. We're seeking all those things. Can you give me the next? Another key important truth here. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Back to that Genesis, right? 
God creates us, but now he's filling in. Why? He created us for his glory. As long as you're going to try to seek your own glory, I'm going to let you know. You're always going to be disappointed. You're always going to be unsatisfied. You're always going to be depressed. Can you put up the next slide, please? Trying to move along here. Here's a key truth. One of those things I want you to try to remember. It'll change your life. It's going to give you that eternal perspective. It's going to change you from a self-centered life to a God-centered life. And that is where significance is found. Significance is found there. In the God-centered life. And it goes like this, until we finally and fully understand that we were created by God and for God, life will never make any sense. Until we have that perspective, until we start to see things through God's eyes, we're going to find ourselves just pursuing survival. Hey, man, listen, can I just get my needs? Can I just get what I need? The stuff that makes me feel comfortable? Just comfort, that's all I want. I don't want extra. I just want comfort. Or success. Now I got more than what I need. And if I build up these treasures, if my bank account's big enough, if I get a collection of friends, a collection of car, a collection of this, a collection of that, then guess what? I'm going to be good. I'm going to be able to look at myself in the mirror and go, ain't I swell, I'm successful. But Solomon, the richest man who existed at that time, he had more than you can imagine. Ricky even pointed out 300 concubines. 700 wives, that's a lot. I'd be tired. I don't think I could deal with that many mother-in-laws. <laughs> One's enough. <clears throat> Significance. That only comes from an eternal perspective. It's what are you going to do in those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities? What are you going to do in that moment when you were given a chance? Will you look at it through God's eyes? Can I bring up the next picture, please? Can you bring it down a little bit? Can we crop the photo a little bit? Can you see? I don't know if you can see. All right, let me explain it for you just in the, for time's sake. It's called the little girl and the vulture. This can be a distressing picture. You know, a picture speaks a thousand words. I showed you Tom Brady. 
I showed you Spurgeon. I'm showing you this picture. I know it's going to draw out of you some emotion, some thought. See, there's a vulture standing there waiting for this child who was emaciated. And this is during the famine in Sudan in 1990s, early 1990s. I don't know what emotion or thoughts come out of you. I'm sure there's a myriad of them. But you know what came from me? If you could see that vulture waiting, just waiting for that child. You know what popped in my head? The photographer. The photographer. The one who snapped the photo. I got intrigued and I started to look up. Do you want to know something about this guy? I won't mention his any name, but I won't mention his name, but I'm going to tell you his story. His story. He stood there for 20 minutes waiting for the right light, waiting for the vulture to come so he could get it all lined up really good. Better than that picture, but all lined up perfectly. And he snapped the photo. See, he wanted to be a wartime photographer. So he was taking anything he could because he wanted to take that picture, that picture that would just bring him fame. This is from his own words, talking to his own friends. So he came here. He waited 20 minutes. In his defense, after he took the photo, he shooed the vulture away. And then he left the child and ran to the plane so he could go on to the next thing. He had his moment. He had his moment. Few months later, it was sold to the New York Times. It became like one of the most noted photos in New York Times history, top 100 photos. He won all kinds of awards from the AP Press. He actually won the Pulitzer Prize. He was successful at what he wanted. Four months later, he took his life. Success is not enough. Success is not enough. You will not get what you want if you're just looking for a life of success. Again, be successful. I'm not saying don't make money. I'm not saying don't have those creature pleasure, uh, creature comforts. I'm not saying those things. But what I'm saying is, is 
How do they work into an eternal perspective? Are you still going to have a self-centered life or a God-centered life? It will give you a new outlook, a total new outlook on life. And what you will do in those moments will radically change. God, how many times do we miss those opportunities that God lays before us? How many times? How many times do I do? Hey, listen, man, I'm going to tell you, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you guys. I'm not, I don't want any of you guys go like this. Oh, this guy is all holy. No. But I do say, God, search my heart. Show me any hurtful or wicked way in me. Show me those things that I don't know. Show me those things I need to change. At night, one of the big questions I always ask myself is, how could I do better? How could I do better? What don't I see? I know when I'm depressed. I know when I'm fearful. I know when I'm in pain, like that soul pain like Ricky talked about. That soul pain. <laughs> Did I rip my pants? Okay. Why can't that be relieved? Because I'm not living a life of purpose. Can we get on to the next slide, please? I'm going to read this real quick because I want to move. Thank you for being so patient with me. I appreciate you guys. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, you want to have a different perspective of life. You want to have a different perspective of yourself. Can I tell you, look at the cross. When you don't think you have any value... Look at the cross. When you think you don't have any purpose, look at the cross. Have that eternal perspective. I'm going to share why. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us to all you guys in all the future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Can you bring up the next ones? God saved you by his what? Unmerited favor. When you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward of the good things you've done. So none of us can boast about it. How many people are really trying to tally up how many good things they've done? Think ain't I swell. I'm going to go to God and go, hey, look at my list. I don't want him to look at the list. I want the grace, Right? But this is so important. This is, you remember we were talking about being created 
by God and for God. You, he knew he blew his very breath into your lungs. He gave you a piece of himself. He did that again on the cross. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he had planned for us long ago. When you find your meaning, when you find your purpose, when you come to Christ and you abandon yourself to him, you'll walk into the very opportunities he has set up. God will be glorified through you. The greatest thing you have is your testimony and your relationship with Christ. That's the greatest thing you can share. It is a gift. The greatest resource God gives you is what? Paul. Time. It's the greatest resource. Ricky was talking about that. I tell people for many years, the greatest thing God gives you is time. You're only going to have so many breaths. What you do with your time matters. Mortality gives life all its meaning. But the greatest gift he has given you is salvation. It is a gift from God. I'm going to encourage you to share your gift. If you got anything in this world to give, Give it in the name of Christ that people might know him. We talk about this. What is the mission statement of our church? To know God and to make him known. Because that's what the world needs. That's what the world, uh, that's what the world is missing. Meaning, purpose that can only be found in Christ. Can you bring up that last photo of Charles Spurgeon? And I'm going to leave you with this quick story. There's my hero. I told you I talked to you about him. Charles Spurgeon was a, a great preacher in England. At the other at the same time there was another great preacher. His name was Joseph Parker. And what happened was this delegation from the United States went to hear these two preachers preach. So they went and saw Joseph Parker in the morning and he was so awesome, so powerful, so engaging, so charismatic that it was said that Joseph Parker is the greatest preacher of all time. And then the people remembered, oh, we were supposed to see this Spurgeon guy. Not as popular at the time, just coming up in the ranks. So they went and they heard Spurgeon preach. And what they said after was, Jesus Christ is the greatest Savior of all time. Oh, you could be successful 
People can say you're a good speaker, but at the end of the day, I really don't care if you even remember my name. I just pray to God. You remember the name of the God I preach about. I pray you would do the same thing. It's not about what God, what you're going to do for God. It's more important about what God is going to do through you. But it all starts with this relationship with God. So I'm going to give you a moment here. I'm going to play a little music. You're going to sit down. You're going to let it wash over you, maybe the words of the song. And maybe we created a little space for you and God today. Let him speak to your heart. Let him speak of his goodness. Let him encourage you. Because you matter to him. Your life is not meaningless. It's not purposeless. Sometimes you're going to see that. My life is meaningless. My life is purposeless. No, it's absolutely not. It all matters. Later on, you're going to go home, maybe, and you're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And in the 17th and 18th verse, he's going to tell you this. What he's doing is in creating in you an eternal glory. You get to partner with God in his work. You get to share the hope of Christ through your spiritual experience, not just knowledge, through your experience. Thank you so much. I'm going to let you sit here with Andrews. Take this time. Prayerfully consider what God would have for you.
shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. for us. Jesus, uh, as we meditate in this moment and we kind of think about your presence and who you are, could not, all I could think about is how desperately I want us as a church body to have that eternal perspective, to strive after significance for your kingdom not for our own name, not for our own glory. So Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the word. We thank you for not just the word that was preached and spoken, but we thank you for your word, for helping us in such a way to get to, get to know you, to study you, to read about you. And so, Father, we are grateful for this moment. Today, I know for some of you, there was a word spoken, a, a statement said today. I too have sat in gatherings like this and a word is preached. I'm like, oh my gosh, I needed to hear that so desperately. If you received a word for you today, you felt like, gosh, I needed that. Would you just lift your hand right where you are? I needed to hear something today. Amen. Hands are all over the room. All right. I want to pray over you. Lord, I pray for every word that was spoken to the hearts of your people. No man could get up here and deliver a word like that that would speak to everyone in the room. So many hands just shot up. I want you to know that's because God spoke through a man. It's his word. And so, Lord, we come in agreement with your word that says whenever you speak you pierce the hearts of our souls. And I pray, Lord, as that word, that seed that you did a whole teaching on, like a parable, the seed would be planted into their souls, into their hearts, into their minds, never to be taken, never to be choked out, but, Lord, to reap harvest in their life. And so I pray for you today that whatever God spoke to you would be planted and deeply rooted in you, do not let the enemy come and steal that word away. 
that encouragement, even if it was like a little bit of an encouragement to go after that thing, to stop that thing, to begin that thing. Whatever it is, I pray, Lord, that seed that is sown will be protected, reap a harvest of righteousness. If today you don't know the Lord, maybe. Maybe today it's like a day you say, man, I want that purpose in my life. I want to come to know Christ as my Savior. As Chris spoke and he said, not that you would know his name, but you would know the name of his Savior, Jesus. Maybe today you say, man, I want to lay down my life to Jesus. I want to give it up to him. I've made this statement before. Listen to me. If it is you and you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, nudging you, you do not have to fully understand everything about God or the Bible to fully follow him. All you have to do is just be obedient to the voice inside of your soul, inside of your mind that says, it's you, I'm calling you home. If today, would you want to give your life to Jesus? If today you say, today I'm recommitting, I want to lay my life down to Jesus, accept him as my Lord and as my Savior, would you just shoot your hand up right where you are? I want to pray with you. I'll give you a minute if you need a minute. Lift your hand. see your hand. I see your hand. If your hand is lifted, I want you to repeat this prayer with me. If you're a believer in the room, you can pray this out loud alongside with them. Just say, Jesus, today I lay my life down. My plans, my hopes, my dreams. Today I choose to trust you with my life. I believe you, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead so that I could live forever. In Jesus' name, amen.